Hello, and welcome to Word of Life Worship Center podcast, where we win, build, and send to the world. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy your Word of Life experience. How many want to choose life? Say amen. You want to choose life in the balcony? Amen. Well, life is, is such a better choice. And, you know, I was thinking, and I used an illustration years ago in a ministry where I took this long, remember that long rope that was 150 feet long or whatever? And I had on the end of the rope tape, a red piece of tape that was taped on it, a little small amount of tape. And I said that this rope represents our destiny from life into eternity. And that one inch piece of red tape that was on the end of that rope represented it, the 90 years of life. And many people choose to live only for that one inch. They disobey, they, they, they live for themselves, they live for their flesh, they live in sin, they live in abomination. I'm talking about in the church. And God says to us, I set before you life and death. And I ask you to choose life. Now, no matter what I go through, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how much I will suffer in this little one inch period of, of a space, it only represents the lifetime. If by grace and strength, God gives us 90 years. Don't live your lives for that one inch of space. I'm going to live, I'm going to have pleasures, I'm going to have delights, desires, disobedience and sin, ungodliness. And then when we get to the end of that one inch, now we have all eternity that will be determined by the decisions that we make on that one inch. Life is hard. You know, Pastor, I, I have this problem. You know, Pastor, I, I had this situation. I had an accident. Uh, I, I lost an arm. I lost a leg. I, I lost an eye. My grandfather lived his life, and he was a gracious, kind, dear man. I learned to love him because of his kindness, and I wished that my, I wished that my children had had a chance, or even my wife had had a chance to meet Thomas Hughes, was a gracious man, kind-hearted, taught me many lessons about Christianity that at that time he wasn't even a Christian. And I remember that the story was told and after all the family had deceased and I somehow inherited all the photographs. I love history, I love photographs and I went through all the photographs and I found one photograph in there where my grandfather had his right hand. So he had lost his right hand, and I had never known him to have a right hand. He lost his right hand helping somebody do their job. A factory where he was trying to help someone snagged his sleeve and pulled his right hand into a machinery and cut it right off. And we look at events like that, and we think how unfair, how wrong that it is that God would allow me to deal with this and to suffer this and to go through that and why didn't God stop it and why didn't God heal me? Why didn't God deliver me? What's wrong with God? What's wrong with me? We go through all that complaining. 
not realizing that life is only a vapor, one inch. That's difficult. Oh, there, there, there are times where there'll be pain and there's times where there'll be rejection. There's times where there'll be a, a controversy. There'll be times where we will suffer, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually. Life can be difficult. But we keep our eyes ever focused on the Savior and on the fact that one day we shall step out of this life. And the things that were so important, the things that were so hurtful, the things that were so harmful, the things that were so needful at that moment, we will look at it one day and realize it really wasn't that important at all. But the most great thing that's important is the relationship I have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that if I do anything else in life, I make sure that I maintain my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and that I keep my life on a personal level, unspotted from the world, that I keep myself in the love of God. Come on. You're missing out. The world says you're missing out on the fun, the excitement. You're missing out on all the pleasures. But those pleasures are really just for a moment. I love history. You ought to study history sometimes. You ought to look at the life of the great. Recently, there was a movie made of the life of Elvis Presley. If you haven't got a chance to see it, it's a very interesting movie because like any superstar or any famous person, the lives of Freddie, who, who played that movie part where he was a singer, that young man whose life was turned around by music. Today, people still play his music. But you look at the life of people and you realize, my goodness, I understand why Paul the Apostle and why the other disciples were willing to be tortured and rejected. You think, well, my God, that's not fair. I want to save my life. I want to have a good life. And that's nothing wrong with desiring a good life. But we must not take life out of its perspective and look at life in a way that is not seen. We must look at life and realize that it seems long. For you that are 18, it's really just beginning. And you hear the term, I've got my whole life ahead of me. And the truth is, you do. But when you get to 30, it's like, wow, I've matured. I'm 30 years old. You look back and you realize you've only been here 29 Christmases. It doesn't seem as long as you thought when you were 11. And then when you find yourself at 40, oh, 40 is a, is a milestone. My God, I'm going to be 40 this year. And you look back and you try to figure out things you want to do before you reach 40. But once you reach 40, the only thing you desire now is to reach 50. <laughs> Isn't it true? Well, you're at your 40th birthday. Okay, this is it. We'll go ahead and cut it off from here. No, no, no. I want to be 41. I want to be 42. And so on and so forth. But no matter how long you go, if you reach your 60s, you feel old. Some of you do. If you're fortunate enough to get to 70, it's like, wow, I'm 70 years old. And we've got some around here who are going to be turning 70 this year. Then, 80. 80 seems like, Lord, unless I have strength, take me home. 
But those who have strength, if they're 80, they want to remain 80, and they want to see 81. I think recently we just had Pastor David had a birthday, 80 years old. You asked Pastor David this morning, he want to be 81. Amen. He want to be 82, and he want to be 83. He want to stick around as long as he can, as long as his health holds out. Then there's 90. 90 is something else. That was something that is, just seems impossible. But then there's the, the landmark 100. One of the benefits of being 100, you can do what you want to do and say what you want to say. And people will excuse you because you're old. <laughs> the book of 1 Samuel says something very interesting. And he says in the book of 1 Samuel, and I want to read this to you. I think it'll help you. In the 15th chapter, starting with verse 16 through verse 23. Now, let me just give you a little story of what's happened. It's God has told Saul to go in and to utterly. Somebody say the word utterly. That, that means without any reservation, completely destroy the Amalekites. I want you to go in and I'm going to give you the land. These are your enemies. They've been there. They've been tearing you down. They're the ones that are stopping you. I want you to go in and I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Utterly. What does that mean? It means to kill everything that moves. Everything that moves. Children. And you say, well, how, why would God allow them to kill the children? And, and, and I know in some strange way you, you may not understand this, but the children of the wicked will, will, will proceed further and further into wickedness if they're left. They will be the ones who will be your enemies tomorrow when you have killed their fathers and their mothers and their grandfathers and their grandfathers, grandmothers. And by killing them in their innocence, his mercy could be applied even to them. How strange God thinks. But he said, go in and utterly destroy them. Saul, King Saul, decided that he would go in and he would destroy the ones that needed to be destroyed. And he will preserve those that needed to be preserved. And the animals, well, he won't destroy them. He will simply preserve them so that he could later on offer them upon the altar of the Lord as a sacrifice to God. What a tremendous religious attitude. God has commanded that they would be utterly destroyed. But in Saul's small mind, he was able to perceive something that God could not foresee. And he decided he would save the best for sacrifice. So here we pick up in the 15th chapter, verse 16. And then Samuel, the prophet, said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. Now think about that. I want you just to stay right here. I'm going to tell you what God showed me. And he said unto him, King Saul said, Say on. Because in Saul's eyes, he felt like he had done something that God should have appreciated. I don't know why or what the problem is. God should have appreciated the fact of what I've done. Look what I've done for the Lord. Look what I have accomplished for God. 
Isn't it wonderful that I have accomplished such things for God and God should be appreciated about these things? And the Bible said in verse 17, and Samuel said, when thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? When you were humble, when you were small in your own sight, God made you the head over the tribes of Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go. God said, I want you to go do something for me. Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Why would God give such a order? Why would God give such a command? And particularly if he's a God of love. But God sees the beginning to the end and he sees everything. He knows the things that are folded in your life that you cannot see until they are unfolded. And God said to King Saul, do this for me. Go and do as I've commanded you. Go and destroy them utterly. And he says in verse 19, wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoils and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. He said, you saw the spoils, you saw the good, you saw the riches, you saw the values of, of things. And in your mind, you, the Bible says you, you flew upon them. He was, he was going towards them. He saw them and thought within himself, I, I, I have another plan. I can save this and God can use it. And the Bible says, this is evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, now. When we think of evil, we think many times of evil as an act of physical involvement. Well, he was evil because he, he, he killed my turtle. He was evil because he stole my goods. But how many understand that evil can be a thought within our hearts? When we are controversy, having controversy with what God said, with what we feel. When we somehow rise up in our arrogance of our human nature and our wisdom and our knowledge and our experiences of life for only 80 years, 60, 70, 50, 40, 12, 13 years, we think we know. And that, that thought, contrary to what God commanded, has become evil before the Lord. And so the Bible says in verse 20, and Saul said unto Samuel, yes, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I, I have obeyed God's voice. I, I, I did what he said do. I just added some extra stuff. And I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and I have brought Agai, the king of Amalekite, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You, you didn't brought the, the head of the snake. The reason why Amalek was so wicked is because of this dude and you let this guy live. He should have been the first one you killed. But somehow in, in, in Saul's eyes, he thought that this was some kind of prize. Something that he could bring and God would say, well, well done. You did absolutely nothing I told you to do, but well done. But the Lord was angry with him and the Lord, was, the Lord considered it evil. 
Because he had the instructions of God, he had the word of God from the very mouth of God to go and destroy utterly and tear it down in every inch of it. But the Bible says he saved, oh, wicked, perverted Agad, king. And the Bible says in, the, in verse 21, and the people took of the spoils. He told them, you guys, anything you see you want, you go ahead and get it. And the people went in and they began to get a hold of the spoils. They began to take the things that would not make it utterly destroyed, but they would leave the artifacts of the things that will build the altars to the devil once again in their lives. You cannot take up the spoils of the devil and put it in your house and not expect an altar to be erected. God said to Saul, I want you to utterly destroy them. And, and, and the Bible says that, well, he didn't do it. And the people took of the spoils sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been, should have been, the chief of things that should have been utterly destroyed. These sheep and these oxen were defiled with their perversions. These sheep and these oxen were sick with diseases because of their perversions. But somehow you think that if I bring that dented can with a hole in it, to the church and give it as a donation. What is it that you bring? You bring that which you don't want. And you expect God who is holy to accept it and want it. And the Bible says that, they, uh, that, that, that these things should have been utterly destroyed. They brought them to what? To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Verse 22. And Samuel said... Had the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He asked the question, does the Lord, you know, th that God somehow has this over-the-top thrill about you sacrificing. Well, I brought this to sacrifice to you. Oh, goody, 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 goody. God doesn't have a delight in this sacrifice. And the only reason God requires his sacrifices so that he can draw near his people and that the blood can bring him to them. But he doesn't have a delight. He doesn't have some secret relish about sacrifice. It, it, it didn't please God to the point of delightfulness that he would sacrifice his son. But that was the only way to bring the people. And the Bible says when Jesus was sacrificed that God turned his, his face from it. And the sky became dark. And Jesus acknowledged, why have you forsaken me? Because God didn't sit there with popcorn on the sidelines to look at it. It broke his heart. But he knew that if he were going to redeem mankind, he would have to sacrifice his son. And the Bible says, did you think the Lord has delight in sacrifices? That's what he said. In burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than what? Sacrifice. And to hearken, to listen to it, the word and heed the word better than the fat of rams. The smoke of fat burning before the altar, the incense of the Lord. To obey was much better. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. 
Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and the sin of witchcraft is in itself selfishness. I didn't do this for God. I, I saw the good of it, and I did it for myself. I could use that for my sacrifice, and it could save me some money. But then you turn it around and say, well, I did this for you, Lord. And Lord, so you did it for yourself. Now, you, you have to understand why God's angry with this. And God's always angry, just like maybe your boss or maybe your mom or dad, when you second-guess them. I know what's good for you. Don't do that. Mom, you don't understand. You don't want me to have a life. You don't want me to have friends. No, no. I've been where you are. I understand exactly where you are. But trust me, I love you so much, I'm going to put a resistance against you that you would not do this. And when Saul second-guessed God, it made God angry. Because God didn't do this, and he didn't command this so that he could have his way. He did it so he can save Israel. The Bible says that it's rebellion, it's the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. As it is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king over Israel. King Saul failed to understand the need to obey God over his own desires to sacrifice. You see, it's easy, church, to, to, to sacrifice uh, uh, for God. It's easy to bring a sacrifice to God as long as it's not your life. It's easy to bring a token to the Lord and put it upon the altar of the Lord and say, well, I, at least I'm supporting the Lord's work. We had a man years ago. He, he would st still be alive today. I'm pretty sure he's a, he was a young man, but he was an entrepreneur. He came into our ministry years ago, came into one of our services. God touched him tremendously. And from that day forward, this man what often throughout the year, several times in a year, would bring in an offering and drop it off. Sometimes it was $1,000, sometimes it was $6,000. And every few months he would just drop it off. And, and one particular Sunday I saw him coming to drop it off and I ran out of my chair and I went to greet him and, oh, hi, Pastor, and he called me Pastor. And he said, oh, I just wanted to bring this. And he had an envelope full of money. And, 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 and I said, well, thank you. We appreciate you. Come on the church and, and, and let God tell you. Well, I got to go to work right now, blah, blah, blah. Well, long story short, I received that offering. And then the Lord began to speak to me over the next few months about this young man. And the Lord said, I appreciate his offering, but I want you to tell him I appreciate his offering. But what I really want is his life. You see, it's easy to walk into the house of God and say, you know what, I'm not a member, I'm not a, I'm not a church goer, I'm not a doer of that, but here's some money and God bless your ministry and God bless you and, and happy old me. But God's not looking for your offering. He's looking for your life. And we have to decide. Are we just going to be an offering giver or are we going to be a Christian who lives it? The Bible says that he desires that you and I would become a living sacrifice. One that brings not only the offering, but brings his or her life. And how does a man, how does a woman bring his or her life to the altar of God? 
One brings his or her life to the altar of God by becoming a living offering, obeying the word of God. Does God have more pleasure in your offering or does he have more pleasure in your life? And so the scripture teaches us in Proverbs, the 15th chapter, verse 8 and 9, it says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Dropping off our offering before church does not really impress God. It may impress the preacher, but doesn't impress God. God's desire for his children, that's you and I, the church, God's desire for us is to obey his voice, for to obey the voice of God is better than sacrifice. But I pray four hours a day. That's great that you pray four hours a day. I read six hours a day. That's great that you read six hours a day. The Lord wants to know, are you obeying 24 hours a day? So many people say, oh, well, I fast and I pray. Well, that's good. You fast and pray. But some are very arrogant about it. You know, I fast and I pray and seek the Lord, but pastor, it doesn't look like you fast at all. I have one tell me that. And the Bible says, lay hands on no man suddenly. So I pick my hand and say, here you come out, devil. <laughs> you foul spirit. <laughs> the Lord bless you. <laughs> You know, people are always going to be critical. And I've learned that, you know, uh, years ago. I don't know if your mama ever taught you that. Mine did. She said, that not everybody's going to like you. And you just got to get used to that. People are so, so thin-skinned in life, you know. But you don't like me. Don't stop living because somebody don't like you. Later with those folks who don't like you. You just keep on moving for God. and keep on living for God. Not everyone is going to like you. So stop trying to please everyone. Make life simpler. Only live for the audience of one. Live for the Lord. Please him. When you please the Lord, he makes even your enemies to be at peace with you. You're trying to please your enemies. Just please God. God, God will deal with your enemies. The word of God teaches us to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience to God's word brings great benefits to the life of the church, to the life of the believer. When you obey God's word, God's outpouring of his goodness and of his anointing and of his grace comes upon your life. When you're pleasing to God, he, he looks from heaven and you could often hear the voice, the same voice that Jesus heard when he was being baptized, that this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. God can be well pleased, but he's well pleased with us when we are obedient to his voice. When we say, I'm going to do my best to be the best that God wants me to be. Amen. And when we're disobedient, it only opens the avenue for Satan to enter in and to bring destructive and divisive things against your life. But the Bible teaches us in Psalm 91 that evil will not come near your dwelling when you make the Lord your habitation. <laughs> When you make God the place of dwelling, I make God the place of dwelling by doing all that I can to obey him. And if I fail him, confess it quickly and continue the process of obeying God. Amen. 
Most Christians are miserable because they're, they, they have not obeyed God and therefore their life is miserable. I'm just not happy in church. You're not happy anywhere. You wouldn't be happy in Joe's Bar and Grill. Because there is the presence of God that lives in you. And so the scripture teaches us that his grace wants to come upon us. You know, how many remember the story when Peter was fishing all night? How many would agree with me that Peter was a professional fisherman? There, we have some professional fishermen, someone in the church, and they can catch fish every time. I couldn't catch a fish at the supermarket. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I just don't have that ability to catch a fish. And, and, you know, one, because they're slimy, and I don't like slime. And unless I have gloves, I won't touch it. Isn't that, isn't that finicky? But yeah, I just can't catch a fish. I remember my wife, first time she was here, the first a few years she was here at, at, in, in, in America, she, she went fishing. She said, I'm going to catch a, a, a lobster at, at, on the pier. So she went to the pier and she had a fishing pole. She said, I'm going to catch a lobster. I said, you're not going to catch a lobster. You can't catch a lobster with a fishing pole. She goes, don't be trying to rain on my parade. I'm believing God for a lobster. <laughs> so I went, yeah, okay. <laughs> she threw that fishing pole over the water, over the pier there in Ocean Beach, threw it over there, and we waited and finally something snagged. And she goes, oh, I got something. It's a lobster. I go, you know, a lobster. I'm going to teach you about American fishing, even though I'm not a professional fisherman. She pulls up this big lobster. I could hear the Lord laughing. What does thou knoweth, old man? What does thou knoweth? She pulled up this big lobster. And she said, see? I never went fishing with her again. So Peter, in the book of Luke, the fifth chapter, he's, he's, he's out fishing. He's fishing, the Bible says, all night. Professional fishermen catching nothing. His partners in their boats, nothing. And Jesus asked the question, have you caught anything? And they said, nothing. He said, throw the net on the right side of the boat. They go, we've been fishing all night and caught nothing. But nevertheless, you hear that word? Nevertheless, at thy word. And they threw the, on the right side of the boat. And the Bible says they caught so much fish that their boats began to sink. That they called their partners to come and help them. And their boats began to sink. What, what was the difference here? My experience, my professionalism, my expertise... The difference was Peter was willing to hear the voice of God and obey the voice of God. And when you obey the voice of God in your life, it doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. God will bless you and prosper you despite them. When they tell you it can never be done, ask Pastor Sarah about lobsters. Because with God, all things are possible to them that believe. And we have to 
become believing believers. Because the church is filled with unbelieving believers. Oh, I believe the Lord, but the Lord gave me common sense. Common sense is a great thing to have for common things. But spiritual sense is necessary for spiritual things. Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you the things that pertain to man and you do not even understand them. How will you understand the things that pertain to the spiritual world? You see, we have to understand that the simplest way into the blessing, the simplest way into the heart of God, the simplest way into the graces of God is simple Bible obedience. The Bible says, love your enemies. That cuts against our grain. Because our enemies are enemies for a reason. But nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to bless them that curse me. Well, you're going to confuse your enemy if you do that. Confuse them. I'm going to obey the word. The Bible says do good one to another. Do good to each other. The Bible says to love each other. Love each other. The Bible says to treat each other with respect. Don't defraud. Don't molest each other. I'm going to not defraud and not molest. The Bible says to pray. I'm going to pray. The Bible says to study. I'm going to study. The Bible says to go into all the world. I'm going to go to the world around me. I'm going to take the message of Christ everywhere I go to whom I can find. Well, I can't afford to go on a missions trip. You can afford to come out of your house. You're on a mission trip already. Just go. If you want a mission trip, really, go to the malls. There's a mission trip. Go there. And they say, well, you can't preach there. Yes, you can. Sit down in one of those chairs, have a latte. And when people walk by, hand a flyer to them or tell them how much God loves them. There's many ways of doing missions trips. What I'm saying is I want you to get out of this, this inner mentality that I cannot obey God. Learn to practice obedience to God. Read the word and say, I'm going to do that. The Bible says here, as it goes on, it talks about the blessing that God wants to bring to us. In the book of John, and I'll close with this, in the book of John, in the 15th chapter, verse 8, we'll start with that, verse 12, we'll end with it. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. He says, continue in my love. If you keep my commandments. Now, these commandments is the word of God. I'm going to keep the word by doing the word. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide, you shall live, you shall dwell, abide in my love. Even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. Why? That your joy, my joy, might remain in you and that your joy would be full. You want to have the fullness of God's joy? Become a Christian who practices obedience to God. It doesn't matter what the person sitting next to you does. Doesn't matter what the preacher in the church does. You become an individual who will obey God and obey the word of God to the point where God takes notice of you and God sees you. And the Bible says that the eye of the Lord goes to and fro throughout the entire world searching for those whose hearts are perfect toward him. 
that he may show himself mighty through that individual. You want to really do something for God? Practice obedience. And this is my commandment, he says, here it is. That you love one another as I've loved you. Inside of the church, we must practice the word, particularly in the area of loving one another. It is in loving each other that God is so well pleased. Love does not work ill toward his brother. Love does not gossip and tear his brother down. Love does not scheme against the brother or sisters. But love is kind. Love is merciful. Love is compassionate. Love is sacrificial. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to love the people of God. I'm going to love the leadership. How often have you had an opinion about the leadership? Well, I don't like the way pastor so-and-so has done that or minister so-and-so has done this. And you're critical. And yet you have not walked in the shoes of these leaders and carried the burden that they carry just by being leaders. I I wish some of you could carry the burden uh, sometime that I have to carry uh, as your pastor. It's enough to make me say, I'm done. But I don't because of love. I keep going on and keep dealing with folks and there are people who don't maybe like or agree with something I've said or done and, and, and it hurts because you do your best to try to help them. And then when their life, the bottom of their life falls out, instead of looking and saying, I told you, you just kind of look and say, well, let's try it again. Because love does not think evil. And when I think like that and love like that, despite the pain, I'm obeying his word. And when it gets too hard, I step back from life and I look at the one inch of tape. And I go, it's all right. It's all right. Where am I on that one inch? I don't know. I know I'm not at that 30 mark anymore. Or that 20 mark. But that one inch of tape is all I have to deal with. And in that one inch, I just have to obey God. Do my best. Am I going to be perfect? No. If I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I confess my sin to him. He helps me. But I'm ever teaching you to strive. Strive. Why? Because the enemy is always striving against you. You must strive to keep yourself unspotted from the world. If you've allowed the world to infect you, you should repent before God and ask him to forgive you and cleanse you with the blood of his son. If the world is pulling at your heart, you need to change your thoughts and begin to think the word of God and say, Father, help me to think different. Help me to live different. Help me to walk different. If you have the world into your heart through social media, turn it off for a season. That's the best thing you can do is fast from social media. I don't know how I live. And you live by the blood. You live by the blood of Jesus. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to join the family, subscribe wherever our podcast is found. We hope you tune in again soon. God bless.